Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Hi, this is Art Middlecoff, and I'm here with my firstborn son, Palmer. So, Palmer, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm I'm Palmer. Um, I was born in uh, 1999, um, in July, uh, so it makes me 24 now. Um, of course, homeschooled all the way through high school, went off to college, graduated with um, bachelor's uh, in mechanical engineering from Kettering University, um, which is out in Flint, Michigan. Um, and then um, now I'm a, I'm a geometry teacher at an alternative school in um, Ypsilanti, Michigan. So you mentioned you were homeschooled through high school. When did your homeschool journey start and tell and uh, kind of how many years of your life did that span? Well, I would say that kind of homeschooling starts from day one and that, you know, as a parent, I think you're constant, you're, you're trying to kind of just set up this, this norm of, of doing, you know, learning and, and schoolwork and, and work in general, because work is a very real part of, of, human existence so yeah so like you know from learning to read um at the beginning i remember one of my first memories of of childhood um i think this was when i was around three years old somewhere um was we had a paper plate um in in the hallway downstairs where um it had like a little like a little arrow on it and drawn onto the plate were you know seven slices and that was how i learned the days of the week we called it the day wheel and so every day we would we would turn the little arrow onto you know Monday or Tuesday or you know whatever day it was. I remember there were different colors too, but yeah. So kind of you know starts from day one, starts you learning to read, starts with you know just read read the Bible to your kids at a really really young age, um, and then you know and then it kind of not I don't want to say starts in earnest, but maybe it kicks up a level, you know when you're starting first grade and. Um, you know, stuff like that. So did you ever experience any other kind of schooling besides homeschool and college? Um, th- there was one day where I, I like shadowed a friend of mine at for a day at, a, at high school. But outside of that, it, my, my experience was all homeschool, college, and then now teaching at the, the high school that, I, that I've been teaching at for the past year or so. So you mentioned you got a degree in mechanical engineering, um, but now you're teaching geometry. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a teacher? Let's see. Yeah. So after I graduated, um, I kind of started looking for a job, but I was kind of dragging my feet on it a lot, going about it really haphazardly. And it, it took a long time, but I eventually kind of figured out, wait a minute, you know, maybe I'm dragging my feet on this because I don't actually really want to do it and maybe i'm not really excited to do an engineering job my my internships that i had had through college were kind of not the greatest and then yeah so i spent about like nine months looking for a job and then there were a couple odd kind of like circumstances that all happened at the same time it was a saturday night i like had a dream and uh, somebody was, somebody was talking to me and, and they kind of just mentioned, oh, have you ever thought about being a teacher? And I kind of laughed and I was like, oh, 
you know, no, I, they don't, I don't think they get paid enough and, you know, I need to be able to support my family someday and, you know, and all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, so I woke up and, and thought nothing of it. And then that Sunday I was talking with a friend of mine at church and she was talking about her dad and, and their relationship. And one of the things that came up in that conversation was that she said, you know, maybe, maybe I would have rather have had, you know, you spend more time with us at home than off, you know, at, at a, at a job making more money. And that kind of really struck home. And then that same, and so then I came back from church that Sunday and you had told me that somebody at your church had also come up and, and said, Hey, is, is Palmer ever thought about being a teacher? And so then I was like, well, you know what? I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is a calling. And so looked into it barely even, I don't know if I even put out any applications, but as I was just talking to, talking about it with a couple friends, one of them was able to get, introduced me to a principal, got all the paperwork filled out. And um, so then I started working there about September of last year. So you started to have a sense that maybe you were being called to be a teacher. And um, how has that played out for you? What do you like most about teaching now that you've been doing it for some time now? I really feel like teaching is a very good mix of it. The things that are required for teaching are things that I think I'm, I'm pretty good at from either either nature or just by um, you know, life experiences and things I've learned. And so it, it, at the same time, it is a lot of things that I think I'm good at, and it does not require very many of the things that I am bad at. Hmm. So I think it's a really good, um, just a really good match for me. And then also, you know, my, like my biggest, or one of my big life goals is I want to have a family and homeschool my own kids someday. And so being a teacher now is going to make me a better teacher then. So I feel like it, you know, it, it aligns with my goals really well. Going to have a good time. That's great. So let's talk about your homeschool experience. You mentioned that homeschooling starts on day one. You told the story about the day wheel. Do you have any other memories of homeschooling before even first grade? I remember we had these like Clifford books, Clifford the Big Red Dog. It was all books that were, you know, teaching kids how to read. And I remember that those were my favorite ones. There mm -hmm. were other ones that we did as well, but the Clifford ones were my favorite. And then I remember, I'm not sure if I was reading it yet at that time, but I remember we read through Gospel of John chapter by chapter. And then we would go, when we finished, you know, the chapter of the day or, or whatever, we would go and then watch like the chapter's worth in a movie that was, I mean, it's just called the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. That is, it's just people acting out and and then there's a narrator as well that just does the Gospel of John word for word. So that was a cool, um, cool thing. And then another thing we did as well, I remember we did a lot of Answers in Genesis mm -hmm. um, from, from super early. And so, it you know, it was, there was never... In my mind, there is never really a, a conflict. It was it was never really like, oh, you know, this is this is what I've been taught, and then this is what you know the Bible is telling me, and you know, and there's 
you know, questions on whether or not that's at odds. But yeah, from from day one, you being raised, six day literal creation was always my my worldview that I was brought up in. So you never had a real um, kind of conflict or struggle with evolution or the claims of evolution and that sort of thing. No, not not at all. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we yeah, we went through a lot of um, answers in Genesis and kind of the, the early apologetics and stuff from from really young. Yeah. So how about starting with like first grade and going through the years? What were some of your favorite books and themes across the years? So I think when I think of favorite books, the first one that comes to mind, which I, I suppose that makes it, you know, my favorite, my favorite school book is The Island Story. Yeah. I, f- I forget who it's by. Our Island Story by H.E. Marshall. So um, you started that when you were pretty young, right? Yeah, I think that was the first like we started that in first grade. Yeah. So you started basically with British history. And uh, are you happy? Do you think starting with British history worked well for you in terms of getting the big picture of, you know, having that lead into American history? Yeah, I think that was really cool because stories about knights and, you know, medieval kind of world. I always really liked those. Really liked ancient stuff, really liked mythology. And if you if you just start with American history, you don't get any of that. It's right. just kind of you're like you know you, you yeah there's just so so much that's before america and so i i think it just kind of makes sense that like naturally you know a lot of a lot of american heritage is is from england and so yeah i think yeah doing uh english history and kind of broader european history from pretty early on was really good i also just love just that english literature i don't know if i liked it so much as a kid, when I found out how many pages I had to read um, at a time, but but I, I've I've learned to really like that that sort of more descriptive, romantic style of writing. Um, but yeah, so so Island Story starts you know all the way back with the Romans invading the the British Isles. A couple cool stories like right at the beginning there, and then it goes all the way through World War One. Very briefly touches on World War One. So one thing that um, Charlotte Mason talks about is that uh, for younger children, the earliest part of the country's history is best. And um, in home education, she says that every nation has its heroic age before authentic history begins. And every child wants to know about that, the kind of the myths and the earliest stories of a country, the age of fable, the age of legend and of heroes and knights and stuff like that. And so, you know, if we start with American history, we don't have those stories because uh, the birth of America is all thoroughly documented and there's no uh, chivalry and knighthood and so on. So in retrospect, would you kind of, you, you what you enjoyed most about our island story was able to go back to the, the heroic age of kind of the history of our, of our country, right? Yeah. But then also, you know, on top of like, I, it's just a really well written book and mm-hmm. it's it like all the way through, I don't think there was ever a point through all of school that I, you know, liked every book. Yeah. But I I was always excited to to do Island Story, the you know, the Island Story assignment for the week. It was one of the first things that got done. Mm-hmm. Um I started by being having it read to me mm-hmm. and then eventually, you know, read it myself. And, you know, it was just it was just so natural for me to just, you know, make a little movie out of it in my head and yeah. um, and visualize everything that was going on. Yeah, just a great, great book. 
So there was something about the way it was written that enabled you to, as a child, to really visualize the story yourself. And those living images are what kind of made it really sink in and become a fond memory for you. Right. Because especially as kids, but like, you know, for the rest of our lives, too, we we are drawn to characters and we love characters. And we, you know, it's, it's cool to point out heroes. Kind of it's kind of there's this modern trend of, of pointing out, oh, you know, good person but they also did a lot of bad things too mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't know i think it's i think it's okay to remember great things that that people did yeah you know? and so you, you wanted to have so you were able to celebrate the heroes without having to have the fine print always attached yeah but i think and i think that when you're growing up with a christian worldview you already know that that no one is good mm-hmm. and you already mm-hmm. know so it's I, I you know i don't think any I never assumed any of these characters were perfect. And right. So you didn't need to have the disclaimers attached on because... Um, I don't think so. Because, yeah, because yeah, with a Christian worldview, it's just natural. So you mentioned our island story. What were some other books that you remember having um, kind of the most influence on you? I remember another one of my favorites was, um, if, if we are jumping up back to, you know, that American history, um, Little House on the Prairie, the whole Little House on the Prairie series um, was pretty awesome. I really liked, you know, Pile to the Sea, uh, Seabird. Those were all H.C. Hauling books. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It was like a really, really just genius way of introducing geography to kids. Yeah. And th- those books are just jam. They're so much fun. They're just jam-packed with, like, I just remember going through the margins on um, Men of the Mississippi and, you know, learn- and it, yeah, just really, really cool books. Mm-hmm. Great. Some of the other early ones i really liked uh, i remember really liking viking tales although i don't remember much of it now mm-hmm. there was uh we had this winnie the pooh library which was a four book winnie the pooh the house at pooh corner when we were very young and now we are six and i, I just remember those being fun so with little house on the prairie um did you read just one book or multiple books in the series and what what do you remember liking about that yeah we we read the entire house on the prairie series and i i don't think i really i feel like that's one of those things where you as a kid you don't really understand the full weight of it mm. and it kind of you know it, it starts off as being i kind of i don't i want to say cute it's i feel like from reading it as a kid it's very easy to kind of you know romanticize and have this this really cool quaint picture of of kind of those how how people had to what people had to do to survive yeah frontier living yeah frontier living um so it's kind of uh as a kid you could kind of romanticize it maybe but yeah and it was once again just such a wonderful story and okay. such mm-hmm. a good story and like and, I, and i'm pretty sure that that the whole series is is true story from okay. her mm-hmm. recollection mm-hmm. well written great story once again really easy to imagine and and make you know pictures in my head of everything that's going on and then kind of later on, I've realized like, man, you know, the things that, you know, that Pa had to do, like, he, he's like, he's there as a father worrying and thinking about like his, his, his family have enough food for the winter mm. and it's happening every single year. And, mm. every, you know, every year something goes wrong or, you know, but they, and, but they managed to sneak by. And um, so as you've grown older, even though you haven't reread the story, you look back on the story with a different perspective because now 
as a as a young man, older, you're you're thinking, wow, what what was life like for Pa? Maybe not the things that were for, foremost of your thoughts when you were young, but the story has stayed with you enough for you to even reflect on it at different stages of your life. Right, and I think maybe even a, a part that adds to that is is how, you know, it's written from the kid's perspective, mm. and so, you know, children don't they don't understand like they don't quite understand you know the full full economics or the full you know dynamics mm -hmm, of of, mm -hmm. of surviving i guess yeah. and so i think that if i remember correctly i think that also kind of comes by in the books and so maybe more of the struggle kind of comes in in the, the later series but mm -hmm. as she gets older she starts to remember like oh like this was actually a tight mm -hmm. situation for us um, but yeah just i mean the you know the just the sheer the grit um the resourcefulness of of pa and how he was able to to deal with all that all that stuff that got thrown at them over those over the course of that time mm -hmm. um, it's just really cool so. so what were some other books that you remember having a big impact i remember i remember going through just so sorry just so stories and i remember that one being kind of goofy and, yeah. and fun right um, Kipper, yeah mm-hmm and really liked trial and triumph okay or i i suppose more specifically i liked the segment in trial and triumph about emperor constantine okay. that was kind of my first i think that, i think that's the only story from that book that i remember but that was one of my first like you know wow like this is a this is like a christian warrior hmm. um and that that really resonated well with me and do you remember enjoying that book at the time? So getting a picture of church history, even if you don't remember all of the different stories, do you, do you feel that it, do you look back in the book and say, oh, I'm glad I, I enjoyed it at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, I think that was another one that was easier for me to, you know, be motivated to, to do than something. Yeah. I think, yeah. Cause they, you know, there's always a spread. There's, there's always going to be every kid's favorite and least favorite subjects, favorite book, least favorite book. But I think I think I remember that uh, Trial and Triumph was kind of up there on the, okay. the more favorite list. Yeah, there was a Joan of Arc book by Diane Stanley that I I really liked. I thought I thought the whole Joan of Arc thing was really cool. Once again, you know that theme of Christian warrior, Christian oh, knights. I, mm -hmm. I I did like Robinson Crusoe, but I I remember really really enjoying kind of all the detail that that it talked about how he set up his his home and how he. How he organized things and built up, you know, his own little farm out there. I always thought that that was really cool, but I was, you know, so and, and I've said how a lot of these Christian warrior and knight stories really resonate with me really well. The story of the kind of the explorer did not really resonate with me well mm -hmm. as a kid, and so I was kind of like, you know, I didn't really have that like, oh, you know, exploring wonder. So I, I kind of remember. I think at this point my mom was still reading books to me and so i remember you know listening to robinson crusoe listening to you know the plans of how you know his home and everything is laid out and then as it kind of talked about his explorations into the jungle i would i would start to daydream <laughs> and imagine you know the best plans for defense oh, if he I got see. attacked okay. by the natives and oh like he should i was like oh he should build a tunnel that goes out the back door so he doesn't get stuck in his hole if somebody you know blocks the front door. you know I, and so i was <laughs> i i yeah so i remember daydreaming a lot and in kind of making up making this making the robinson crusoe story better yeah. to to the my to my young mind mm -hmm. um, 
So I'm seeing a theme with Constantine, Joan of Arc, Robinson Crusoe as as warrior defender, as opposed to as explorer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 it and it goes on. I remember really liking Otto the Silver Hand, Men of Iron, two kind of classic knight stories. Or you know, avenge. I believe both of those two are about avenging avenging a father figure. I really liked. Um, I this wasn't technically on you know any of the reading lists, but I I would recommend it maybe for free reading or for you know younger kids even maybe even pre um pre first grade. But the Redwall books by okay. Brian Jacques uh-huh. were super awesome. Not really historical, um, but you know dealing with the the animals and kind of how they interact with each other. Uh, yeah, sorry. So if you're not familiar, Redwall is is like a kind of a. It's about Redwall Abbey, and it's inhabited by mice. And there's various vermin that that come up. You know, some you got rats and weasels, and you got cats every once in a while. There's like a an evil king, and there's always a cat shows up. And so they always they all come and and threaten Redwall Abbey and the the surrounding forest, and try to enslave the the good people of the forest you know your your otters and shrews and uh, mice and squirrels are all some of the good guys and then um and you pretty much read all of those right yeah i read i read most of them if not all of them mm-hmm. um and so kind of it, it's a different set of characters in almost every book there's a couple of trilogies in there that, that deal with the same characters but you know the there's there's a threat to the abbey uh, and then a hero arises and he there's kind of that classic story of, you know, take up the, the sword of the ancestors and fight for, for freedom and, you know, all that good stuff, good themes. And then another thing that, that Brian Jacques does, I think, better than any author I've ever read is he describes like the, the joy of, of a feast mm-hmm. better than anybody else. And he reading about the feasts that they would have at Redwall Abbey made me want to try baking some of these these pastries and, and, and treats that they were doing. And so, you know, maybe that's kind of something that you can kind of use to foster, you know, interest in other other areas of learning and, you know, learning how to cook and be like, oh, let's try, you know, making these these scones that he describes in so much detail. And and that's just that's just a really, really cool fact of his writing is that he mm-hmm. he he describes food with so much joy that I think it's it's fun and refreshing to see. And you have your own skills as a chef. You like to cook food and have food that tastes good. And so that gives you some, you feel like some affinity with Redwall over that. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's just a certain kind of joy, a unique kind of joy, I feel like, to, to truly preparing a feast. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as, you know, as modern Christians, we don't really seem to have a lot of true feast days, you know, mm. where we, we actually like make a point of, of all gathering together and making a lot of food. Mm which is good. Mm-hmm. God prescribes feast days in the Old that's Testament. Right. Yes, that's right. So what are some other books? I really liked American Tall Tales. It was, it was kind of silly, but it was it, I, I really liked it. It was a fun kind of silly. Children of New Forest, once again, kind of almost like a Robin Hood story. There was also a uh, Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle was, was a cool book. And then kind of in starting into that early... American history, Johnny Tremaine, probably one of the books that I remember a, re- a whole lot from. Once again, it was like kind of a later book I read later, but I, I, I remember a lot from that book. 
So that was kind of one of your, that was like your early American history book that maybe impacted you the most? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was all about, I think Johnny Tremaine was just a guy in Boston, kind of as the, the unrest was building between, you know, the colonies and the, and the British and then going into the Tea Party and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, I, I remember a, a part, I have a, like a vivid memory of there's a family and the, like the, I think the, the father's away. I think he's in, you know, Pennsylvania or something. And the wife is like collecting silverware to melt down into, into bullets. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I just kind of like you picture, you know, a, a lady, you know, putting her silverware in the oven to like heat it and melt it into bullets. And, and all these books you're describing, you haven't, you know, gone back and reread any of them. These are all just your recollections from years ago as a, as a student, as a homeschool student. And, that, and these incidents from these books have stayed with you through the years, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the list again and I, yeah, I I, th- I don't think I have read any of these a second time. Mm-hmm. I think these are this is all recollection from just my first time reading it mm-hmm. and narrating it, of course, uh-huh. which I never wanted to do. But narrating, you never, you never wanted to narrate. Yeah, I never wanted to narrate, but narrating is extraordinarily important and pays off dividends later in life. Like it, you just make like on top of all of the you know memory and and committing it and you know learning and then going and teaching it again you know all that stuff is awesome too but then it also just makes you know reading good stories and then telling them back makes you a good storyteller mm. and being a good it's cool to be a good storyteller mm-hmm. i think and it, it just you know helps you be more eloquent helps you put your thoughts into words and it's fun so are you glad that um that your mother and i um, required you to narrate even those moments you didn't want to maybe necessarily narrate oh yeah absolutely i mean you know like that's one of the one of the difficulties of, of you know homeschooling is is that you've gotta you gotta lay down the law sometimes mm-hmm. and your your children might protest and hate it for a long 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 time mm-hmm. but i know for sure that you know as I went off to college and then, and then since then have just really, you know, realized, wow, like this, this was it. This really did so much for me. And Mm. so, so thankful that, you know, that you were my executive function for the longest amount of time because I didn't, you know, I didn't have it really within me to, to get myself to do a lot of these things. And so I kind of needed the, the outside pressure to, to get me to do things that I needed to do. Oh, great. So what other books that you want to mention? Uh, Bullfinch Mythology, Age of Fable was pretty great. And I, I really loved mythology. Once again, you got your, your Age of Heroes stuff. Yeah. One of my favorite, another one of my favorite books of all time, right up there with Island Story is Black Ships Before Troy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome book. It just, <laughs> I, I, you know, I read it before all this, you know, before all this Marvel cinematic universe stuff came out and it, mm-hmm. you know it's like a there's something cool and special about sort of the, the all-star battle mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. and so i just have so many black ships before troy just built so many vivid just like picture memories in my in my head of like just imagining these these mighty heroes kind of stri- like i imagined you know lines upon lines of of 
you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of sh just guys with shields and spears. And they're all kind of, you know, pushing each other and jostling and stuff. And then you've got these heroes and they're head and shoulders above everybody else. And they sort of stride through the ranks and the, 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 the masses of shield and spearmen kind of part ways for these heroes. And they just, they just carve their way through, through the ordinary rank and file enemies. But then... Oh, here's a hero from the Trojan side, and he approaches, and they just have their own, you know, duel in the middle of the battle. And I, I just, I mean, it's so cool. It's so cool. That's <laughs> yeah, great. Um, and then uh, an another thing that's that's cool about all these, you know, mythology books is that when when the details aren't, you know, set in stone and they're they're not perfectly recorded, I always enjoyed kind of like making up my own you know filling in some of the blanks on my own mm -hmm. and so i think i'm i think there was there was some basis for this but i think i definitely took the i took the concept farther than maybe the author did but you know if just because we're talking about black ships before troy and the trojan war you've got achilles who is not only just this you know i i didn't really picture him as a truly extraordinarily talented fighter but his, you know, his superpower was that he was dipped in the river Styx, mm -hmm. and and as part of that process, his I just imagined his entire body was invulnerable, like his mm -hmm. skin could not be cut, mm -hmm. and so he was so good at fighting because he never had to defend at all mm -hmm. because they, they, they their weapons physically couldn't pierce him, mm -hmm. and so then they they had to go and hire this this like poison sniper guy from from way out and I think I want to say like somewhere in the Atlantic because because in black ships before Troy you know they bring they rope in the Amazons like there's people from from way farther away in the world than you would think mm -hmm. uh, and I just think that's cool that you know yeah you're we're, we're bringing in people from way far away for the you know the all-star battle uh, and so they hire this poison sniper to to aim for Achilles heel because that's the only place that I I thought his skin could be pierced from uh, and so then they needed to they needed to hit him in the heel, needed to cut him and then poison him so he would die. So um, so these so these the best stories were the ones that sparked your imagination and made you want to expand on the stories in your own mind, think about them, kind of envision your own your own adventures or your own um, extrapolations from the stories. Yeah, and, and kind of a, a, a term people use for that is, is you build your own head cannon. Mm -hmm. Here, either, yeah, I did that a lot with Robin Hood as well. I, 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 you know, I have my own version of the Robin Hood legends and stories. I have my own version of, of who Robin Hood was as a person, mm -hmm. um, and that that kind of helps. That helps my and it. It made it harder for me to like some books because maybe they had like the book Ivanhoe. I did really like that book, but I remember, I think, I'm not sure if they depicted Robin Hood in yes, a way Robin. that oh, you bothered okay. me mm -hmm. or if it was one of the Merry Men. Okay. It was, I, it might've been Friar Tuck. I didn't like how they portrayed Friar Tuck in mm -hmm. that book, but I, I just remember being like, oh, that's not the, you know, that's not the little John that I made up, yes, or that's not the yes. little John that I know. And yeah. and so it kind of does make some of those, those, it kind of grates a little bit, but I, I would always just tell myself like, you know what, like that's, that's all right. I can, I don't need, I don't need their version of this character. I've got my own version mm -hmm. of this character and I like this version of this character. And then that also segues kind of nicely into Once and Future King being another one of my favorite books. And, and Once and Future King is, is just a, 
a real a real feast of of all the different legends that that you can kind of pick and choose your favorite pieces mm. from to build your your little own King Arthur headcanon. Because mm-hmm. there's so much Arthurian legend out there that that agrees or disagrees with other sources and stuff. And and so it's it's fun to kind of just pick and choose your favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's um that's the Once and Future King by T. H. White. And then I guess kind of our final honorable mention is um Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. Definitely a, a later book. Actually, you know what? There there's a a certain charm to the books of, of the hardworking and downtrodden animals. Okay. Um, and so uh, one example of that was Brighty the Grand Canyon. I don't know what it was about that story, but I, I remember having a lot of empathy for, for mm-hmm. Brighty. Mm-hmm. And there's a dramatic scene at the end that I, I was, you know, practically crying during because mm. um, it just, I don't know, it resonated so well with me. Um, another example of another book like this is uh, King of the Wind by by, Mar- by uh, Margaret Henry. Margaret Henry. Another, That's about a horse, uh, a racehorse. Which is yeah, which is about which is about a racehorse. He he's like born with a he has a bad omen and they almost throw him out mm. or kill him, dispose of him. But he also has a good omen, mm. and so you know he's almost like it's one of those just struggle after struggle after struggle, but perseverance and. Yeah, just a really, really cool book. I also remember like really another another kind of vivid image from these these three books being Bright of the Grand Canyon, King of the Wind, and Animal Farm is is the kind of this this picture in my head of like the the horse or well, I guess in Brighty Canyon the the donkey just, you know, straining and, and working at its absolute maximum capacity. Uh, um in just pouring pouring rain mm. and i don't know why but like that that image kind of really stuck with me as just mm. like this is like this is the epitome of hard work mm. and like this is that's true struggle of, of labor i guess mm. is this 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 yeah overburdened horse in um in just crazy rain Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah so Animal Farm although I remember at the time reading Animal Farm it was really frustrating because the bad guys win yeah I I never I never liked stories where the bad guys win yeah but did you did you get the political message um, that George Orwell had in mind from Animal Farm do you think yeah and I I feel like some of it was lost on me at the time but once again, you know, it's something that you, it, it, the memory has stuck with me and, and kind of have learned more, you know, since then as I've been exposed more to kind of, you know, political ideas and, and thoughts and just. So one thing that Charlotte Mason talks about is not kind of forcing, not over explaining and forcing your child to like understand everything that you see in a book. And uh, she says that, um, that the child will get what he's able to at the time and will come back and maybe gain more later and so that's what's happened to you in the case of animal farm right yeah and that doesn't even always look like going back to the same book okay. um i would say more often that that looks like for example you know i read once in future king and i was like wow this you know arthurian legend seems cool to me and so then i go and i on my own time you know years and years later i look up other sources there's like a, a podcast where he did a series on a lot of the arthurian legends and and i cherry picked and chose my favorite legends from that series you know and so so going back to kind of learn more doesn't always look like going back and, and reading the same book again but i think very often it's like hey you know i read this book you know i thought it was really cool and this subject and so 
now I'm going to go look deeper and I'm going to, you know, take advantage of the resources that we have nowadays to kind of just, you know, learn more. And I recall you really liked Watership Down as well and saw that as also having some some degree of political allegory, as I recall. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Watership Down, one of, another one of my, like, that's that's right up there with Black Ships Before Troy and Island Story as is absolute, like, I, I don't know if I can recommend that one enough. It, yeah. It's mm-hmm. so good, so awesome. I don't know how, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how the author managed to make such a, just a baller story with rabbits yeah. looking for a, a new Warren. And, and yeah. it like the, the politics was, I, I did, I feel like I did really, I understood the politics in that book more than I did in animal farm probably okay. on the yeah. first read through, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I say first read through, but I didn't read through it again. So, and just so many cool characters. I mean, there's a there's a guy in there named Bigwig and he's just so awesome, and and, uh, and there's just that like another kind of character concept of it's like the it's almost like the good bully mm-hmm. he's like he's the biggest good guy and so he goes and fights you know the big the big bad guy the big bully bad guy right and I think that's such a cool you know that's such a cool character for for you know a kid to latch onto is that like this he's the he's the big mighty protector. And I think besides the you know the inspiration of Bigwig, I think as I recall, you you felt that those different Warrens each told a sort of parable or story about different types of government and ways of organizing society. Yeah, yeah, and um, I you know I kind of felt bad for for some of them, and you know I one of the first kind of societies that they encounter, there's there's these other rabbits and they're huge. Mm-hmm. And they're just thinking like, man, like these guys could just absolutely tear us to shreds mm-hmm. uh, if they wanted to. But they're they're so welcoming and it's so there's so much food and it's so peaceful and so abundant. And so kind of they, they realize that this utopia is actually there's a there's a farmer mm-hmm. who is bringing food and feeding these rabbits. And so he, he's not raising them in captivity. He's just kind of domesticating and farming wild hares and, and rabbits and so he's feeding them and then every once in a while one or two of them disappears mm-hmm. um and it's you know it's kind of spooky when you're when you're personifying the you know the rabbits and in, in that in sort of the 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 level of human characterization that they are in their book there's just like you know from a human perspective it's like yeah so what you know he's he's farming a couple rabbits but but it, when you're in the story when you're reading it and you have these rabbits personified it's like it's horrifying right. that they're just they're just they're they're totally fine they're accepting the you know the the plenty and the food and the bounty and and the the price that they pay for that is they a couple of them go missing every once in a while and so then because they're so well fed that's why they're so big and i believe they do get in a fight at some point and and they just get absolutely destroyed because yeah. they're they're tame and they become yeah, they become tame uh, from this. Um, they don't have to really struggle to survive. And so very cool thoughts about society. I, th- I would say it's more about just society than, than even a, a, a set kind of political okay. view. You know. So you mentioned um, having Answers in Genesis types of books from an early age. Did you Do you feel, and I know we visited the Creation Museum several times, did you ever feel like that was overdone or do you feel like there was in a, I mean, are you ha- looking back on it, do you feel like that was a helpful amount of material that you got on the story of creation and God's involvement in creation and the young earth and so on? I think that that was all really, really good. 
it's just the only thing that I would say is that you kind of want to, when it comes to sort of the, the Bible adjacent things, really ask yourself like, should we just do more Bible reading? I see. Um, and, you know, just remember that like, yeah, you know, Interest in Genesis, Apologetics, you know, all this stuff is, all the extracurriculars are really, really good, but the Bible is also the Bible mm -hmm. and there's no, there's no overstating how powerful and how great the Bible is. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I would say, yes, it was good, but the Bible is also really good. So balance that how you will. Also, I really like the, the Apologia science books. Mm -hmm. They, they're, they're so good. They're absolutely amazing. Um, those are kind of the only true textbooks that I did, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't even really come across like a textbook in the strict sense, but just the, the content in there was so well put forward and, and so well described that I remember I did, I did chemistry. I want to say like sophomore or junior year. And then I went to college, you know, years after going through this textbook and I took the, the kind of chemistry 101 and I, I remember I didn't study really at all for that class. And I got, I think I got an A in it just, just purely off of the knowledge that I had retained from, from just, yeah, good old exploring creation with chemistry, mm -hmm. um, the Apologia science books. They're so, they're so good. And if you're worried about science, you can, you can rest assured that if you go through those books and you use that curriculum, you'll, you'll be at least for, for chemistry and biology, you're, you'll be well, well served and, and well prepared for any any science you're going to run into in college. And so in the the biology you were using for the biology and chemistry, that was the Jay Wild version of the Apologia editions. So looking back on your kind of whole, you know, span of life being homeschooled, what would you say are some of the best and worst aspects of being homeschooled? So whenever you're talking about homeschooling, I mean the 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 number one best thing that goes far, you know, it it's far 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 beyond the second place best thing. But the best thing about homeschooling is that you're you're raising up your child in in the faith and mm -hmm. you are you're taking ownership of of that which which God has put under your stewardship. And the importance of that can't be overstated because that, I mean at the core, you know, that's what it's all about. And we can talk about all these, you know, fun books and and on the coolest books and and all the, you know, learning thing, but really the most important thing is raising your child in the faith and, you know, giving them the best chance that you can that they make it to heaven. And and if that's the only thing that you succeed in, then then you have succeeded. And mm -hmm. if that mm -hmm. if if your kid is struggling in every other subject, that's all right. Because if you don't teach them about God, you know, who who knows what else they're gonna learn, who knows what other worldview, you know, some some teacher at, at public school is is going to tell them. You, you just have no idea. It's completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just the best thing about homeschooling is yeah, being raised in the faith and being taught the, the love of God. And then, it, I mean, I, I really kind of have a hard time thinking of like a worse aspect hmm. just because you, you like, I mean, obviously there are drawbacks, but it's not like nothing significant. Like when, when in the shadow of the importance of raising your child with a Christian worldview and raising them in the faith. Like, no, I don't, I don't really think any cost is too much mm -hmm. to have that. Mm -hmm. And so, 
I don't know, like it's it's something silly, like you know, oh, I you know, I probably would have liked to have more friends to to hang out with as a kid, but I you know, I kind of want to say as an extrovert who doesn't, and um, so maybe I mean maybe that's a slight slight downside as my biggest downside was I I um I didn't have a ton of friends. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I suppose that's a good uh, segue into the most the kind of the classic question that any homeschool parent gets and probably dreads is the question well what about socialization and so how would you recommend for somebody who's thinking about homeschooling their children wants to hear about a homeschool graduate who's now you know in the working world how would you coach them to answer the question what about socialization for a homeschool child I, I mean I know a lot of a lot of homeschoolers do co-op stuff and and you know that's that's cool and fun I remember in my own experience, I I wasn't super thrilled about going to the co-op because it was just kind of like a lot of people were kind of odd, a little off. Um, and, uh, you know, I was odd too, I'm sure at the time. Um, but um, but no, I, I would say that kind of a, a really good w- way to, to, you know, make sure your kids are proper or, you know, air quote, properly socialized is get really involved with your local church. You know, nobody's supposed to walk through this stuff alone. And, um, you know, God God is, is king also of your local church and uh, wants you to be involved with your local church and your local body of Christians. And, and so, you know, by being really involved with your church, you can, you know, go go and volunteer and maybe, you know, your, your kids are, are hanging out with the kids of other parents who are also volunteering. Um, you could even, you know, say you can even arrange, you know, play dates and, mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're good friends with people, you know them well, you know, you can say, oh, hey, why don't you, you know, bring your kids over and we'll, you know, we'll watch them for, for a few hours. They'll hang out and, and play and, you know, and just having the, uh, you know, having the option of free childcare or, or be, you know, babysitting for, for a couple of hours, you know, you might, you might serve the people in your, in your community and in your church really well. And, then it has the added bonus of, of, you know, giving your kids more friends and, and, you know, people to be social with. And yeah, just make sure, make sure you have enough time, especially early on, make sure you have time for your kids to play. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think also have, you know, in, in families with more siblings, you know, there is, there is more kind of um, socialization just in that, you know, the, they can be friends with their brothers and sisters, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, and um but yeah, I would say kind of the you know if you're worried about it, yeah, just be really involved with your local church, have your kids' friends be friends from church, and 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 invite people over. Hospitality, mm-hmm. have gatherings, gather together, make food. <laughs> so, what was your transition like from homeschool to college, both academically and socially? So a big a big um, struggle for me academically was I didn't really. I, I don't really learn well from lecture and college is fed up to lecture. Yeah. Um, and so kind of over time, it took me time to learn that I, what I needed to do was do essentially practice problems for everything mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, work through it because I didn't really get a lot of the concepts from lecture. I had to just, you know, just had to go and study through them. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to, to my dad once again uh, for, um, you know, sitting through and kind of tutoring me through, you know, we worked on a lot of those really hard, really hard um, upper level 
math classes together and I, I wouldn't have graduated without him. And yeah, so it just, yeah. So learning from lecture was a, was a bit of a struggle. I kind of got overwhelmed a lot, which was just more of kind of like an emotional, like not really a logical feeling. I was a big procrastinator. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, yeah, maybe that's another another struggle was that I, I all of a sudden had a lot less of that, you know, I didn't have that that pushing executive function coming mm-hmm. from, you know, you and, and mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of free to, to, there was nobody there to say, okay, you actually need to get to work now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I had a hard time cho- deciding that it was time to get to work um, and not just play all the time. And then, uh, and then socially, it's kind of, I feel like college is just tough transition for any, you know, any student, you know, going in as a freshman. There's a lot of just kind of like, you know, it's a time where you kind of make social blunders and mistakes and you learn from them and they're embarrassing, but it is what it is. And then you learn from it and you don't do it again. And that's that kind of how I've come to terms with it. It's just like, yeah. It was it was weird. It's an interesting interaction, you know. I don't know why I was with that friend group anyway to begin with, but hey, here we are now, and you know it it doesn't really. It's not like anything earth shattering, you know, happened. So, so in terms of um, some of those uh, challenge areas like learning from lectures, um, procrastination or self discipline, and then um, kind of the awkward social um, situations. Is there anything? that uh, that homeschool could have done differently to better prepare you for some of these aspects of college life? I mean, you know, once again, it's it's really hard because you, you need to be, especially with younger ages, you need to be that sort of executive function and, and, and really get them to work. And if, because it's, you know, it's a, it's a rarity that the, um, that the kid is going to be the one that's like, yeah, let's do, you know, let's do more, let's do more right. school, let's do right. more homework. No matter how interesting the book is or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. And so, um, you know, you, you kind of always need to be that driving force. Driving home the, you know, the lesson behind the rule is probably, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really important. Like how I try to, how do I try to work with my my students teaching them geometry? I, I, I understand that they, you know, struggle a lot with the executive function and I try to do what I, I do for them the thing that I hated when I was a student. Yeah. Um, because I learned how much it did for me and how how much it helped me, you know, years and years later. And what was that? And that's just being that executive function okay. mm-hmm. and kind of being firm. And you you want to try to teach like a, kind of a big theme for me teaching at this alternative school is it's it's more about that it's more than the geometry. Like yes, okay. the geometry is the class that I'm teaching. But what I'm really getting at is I really want to teach them how to do things that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to teach them that even if even if they're they're you know they're telling me, oh, this isn't relevant, I don't want to learn this, when am I ever going to use this? I'm telling them, well, you might not ever use this, but what will you what you will use is you will use the the strategizing and the problem solving and you will use the endurance of you know sitting in, in you know it's so easy to look at a math problem and be like oh my goodness i don't know how to do this i'm going to throw my hands up in the air and i'm going to walk away but but kind of teaching the the endurance to sit and stare at a problem for a little bit and go okay i don't know how to do this 
let's take a look. Let's see if we can figure it out. And, you know, and, and oftentimes if you, you know, put your mind to it, you can find the answer. And so that's kind of a big, a big theme that I try to push with them is, is, you know, perseverance and, and working through stuff that you don't want to do. Another thing that I try to teach them is that it's being, being polite and, and pleasant generally just kind of makes life easier. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you try to show respect and courtesy with your students. Yeah. Um, and so if they are, if they're aggressive towards me or they, they're demanding or, you know, they're, they're sharp with a lot of stuff, I just kind of, I, I don't budge. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm quite strict when they try to argue with me, but I'm also really, really lenient the second that they kind of, they, they realize that, you know, maybe some of the, some of the fault is on them Mm. or, um, you know, like if, if they're, they're asking me, oh, can I, can I do this, this homework later? I'll be like, well, you're not going to want to do it later. So you should do it here now while, where you have me to, to tell you to do it. Mm. Um, and, and stuff like that. And, and if they, um, they say, oh, we should have this because we did this. I'll be like, no, sorry. But um, then if, you know, if I've got a student that's behind on a lot of work and they've missed work and they can, they come in, you know, a couple weeks before kind of the end of the, the semester and they say, hey, you know, what can I, my grade's really bad. What can I do to bring this grade up? I will always work with them. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, be forget- I'll make a plan with them and um, they don't even need to stick to the plan 100% often to get, to get through it. Um, but I make sure that everybody has a path if they... You know, that's kind of in its own way also showing a little bit about repentance mm. and forgiveness in that, like, you know, if you admit you're wrong, you know, people can be very, very accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and if you just, you know, barge in on the warpath, people don't want to cooperate with you. Mm. So not being combative, but being firm. It's an interesting combination of being firm, uh, but being compassionate and understanding, um, but always being considerate and non-combative. Right. So, um, you know, in terms of like the social, you know, kind of awkwardness of college time um, and even other aspects of college life, when you looked at, did you know any other homeschooled students in college? I don't think, I mean, I probably met a couple, but I never really was close friends with any of them. I didn't really, I definitely didn't seek out other homeschooled kids. Do you feel that those who were public school educated had any advantages in the college environment sure maybe they maybe they did have advantages in in the you know the social aspects of college but once again it's like you got to think about what's what's important Mm -hmm. is is your child's faith important or is their socialization and and how popular they are in college matter yeah and you know it's it's no comparison it's it's a worthy trade-off you know and um and once again it's not even being the most popular kid in school is not the greatest thing either because everybody's watching you and everybody's, you know, um, you know, looking at, looking at you and where you slipped up and, uh, and stuff. So, you know, it's not even, sometimes you don't even want to be in the popular crowd because the popular crowd, there's a lot of social pull even on that to, you know, a lot of peer pressure, a lot of, a lot of stuff that, um, might not be the greatest anyway. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the end of the world if you're not. And, that, and especially if you go to a, um, you know, a decent sized school, 
you will find people that you get along with no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody that's, you know, totally doomed to, to uh, just, you know, no, never having any friends because they, they weren't, you know, they're so awkward. Yeah, I just don't think that that's realistic. So I think there's a lot of families who um, believe in the value of homeschooling in terms of faith formation for their children. They choose to homeschool up to a certain age. Um, but then, um, you know, at junior high school or high school, they they will send their kids to a private school or a public school. Um, what would you say to parents who are at that stage and are considering um ending their homeschool and uh, for junior high or high school, sending their kids to a private or public school? Well, um, so I kind of, um, this kind of has to start, you know, really early. And, and I, I remember I saw this video of, which was, it was part of a, like it was supposed to be a joke, you know, it was a funny video. And it was like, it was this kid getting dropped off at, at, at school as a, as a child. He's probably like four or five years old. And this kid's getting dropped off and he's just, just, distraught and in tears and just just completely shattered and it's like i don't know i don't know what you know where as a parent you're like ah yes like this is a good thing i'm leaving my just completely terrified child alone at school Mm. at at a young age to be taught who knows what by who know what who knows who and and so maybe it's easier to kind of see that picture and feel for that picture with a little kid. But, you know, junior high and high school, that's where, you know, kids are starting to think a lot more on their own. And so, so it's important that, that you take ownership of your kid's education when they're very young, because they're really impressionable. Mm -hmm. And these are where their foundations are going to be laid in a lot of, of beliefs and stuff and worldview. So that's super important. But then, junior high and high school is where they start to actually build their own world and they start to kind of that's where you're going to get probably the most pushback is is in those years and they're going to want to to tear away and, and be free and that's where that's where a lot of the the worst things happen is is in high school that's where that's where drugs start to to be a thing that kids experiment with and that's where you know the the whatever whatever music of the day, no matter how vulgar is, is just being, you know, played. And there's no, there's nothing that teachers, teachers can't, you know, shut down all of that. And I think it's a little bit interesting when some parents say, you know, oh, I, you know, I don't know if I'm smart enough, or I don't know, know if I have enough experience to, to, to homeschool my kids. And, and that is some, you're assuming that, you know, the, the public or private school system is this beacon of, you know, the shining beacon of academic integrity and excellence, you know, it's, I don't really think it is. And I think that, you know, the only way to make sure that your kid is actually truly paying attention and actually truly listening and internalizing their education is if you're the one sitting next to them the whole time Mm -hmm. and then they're narrating it back to you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're, you're actually watching them do the math problems because in a classroom full of 30 students, like, you know, this teacher can't sit next to each one of them one by one and make sure they understand the math concept. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then there's the, the people that say, oh, you know, you, you're, the kids need to know how to live in the world and be in community with the world. And, you know, and it's like, OK, cool. But like high school is not the age to go be a missionary. Mm-hmm. Like you need to you need to be solid in your own foundation before you, 
before you go into a hostile environment. You need to be trained. You need to do your boot camp before you go to war. Mm. And um, oftentimes, I think that that schools can be a bit of a war zone because mm. there's just there's so much peer pressure. There's so much, you know, Im- impressions, and there's so much just the 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 cesspool of the media that we have today. You know, be it um, you know all from news to music to shows and movies you know you've like i mean not to mention not, not to even get into just the you know the number of 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 students that have phones with with unlimited internet access you don't know what what your kid's watching on his friend's phone you have no like there it's just it's not safe mm-hmm. and i i don't understand it so um is there i mean is your answer any different for like a christian private school for high school do you think that that's in some way safer for some of these risks that you're talking about i mean maybe it is but it's at the end of the day like it, you know how how much how how much risk is is enough for how much risk of, of of your child losing or not being saved is is worth it to you hmm. you know it's like i i i feel like I mean, you know, I haven't had kids yet, but I feel like if I did have a child, I, I don't think any, I think, I think the minimum amount of risk is acceptable to me. Hmm. And if I can minimize the risk by 1% by having them, you know, be, be learning here, then them, you know, learning at, at a Christian school, if I can save 1%, that's worth it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think these, these things are too to, and you know, and that's not to say that that it's all up to us. And you know, obviously, like God, God saves people, not mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. We don't save people. We don't save our children. God saves our children. And so, but then again, I you know, as a father, you have to give an account someday of of the the, the things that that were put under your stewardship. You're gonna have to give an account someday of how you taught your children, and. I think that's something that we shouldn't take lightly. And I don't think that's something that we should play risk with. Um, I think that's something that we should do. We should do the safest thing we could possibly imagine. You know, it, it was good enough for a lot of history, you know, mm. to have the, the, you know, people all in big families, units all growing up together and, um, you know, learning from each other. And, and I, don't, I don't think any amount of any amount of risk above the minimum is acceptable. I don't think so. So I think two main reasons, maybe two main um, reasons why maybe some parents feel inadequate to homeschool, particularly at the high school level. One might be a sense of maybe diminishing authority that they have over their children. And then a second one might be um, a sense of not being a master of the subjects. And what what would you say to a parent who maybe said, um, you know, could we do an online class for chemistry or an online class for math? Um, is that something that you think would be a, you know, how does that factor into what you're talking about in terms of um, managing risk and so on? Um, I just, I really think that online learning is, is not a very effective method because you, you just don't have the, 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 that level of human connection. I mean, maybe this is just me, but this is, it was always extraordinarily hard for me to focus on any sort of long video format um, learning. But, you know, if, if you don't, like, you don't need to be a master of any subject. You you just need to be willing to, to learn alongside your kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and God helps people. And the Holy Spirit teaches. And, you know, if I, I feel like, 
not that not that we do anything to earn anything obviously because we we can't earn anything on our own but i feel that if if you you know decide to take the step into into homeschool because of all of these reasons and because that it's so important because you care so much about what god has entrusted to you he'll respect that Mm. and he'll help you out if you ask for it Mm -hmm. because it's, he gives good gifts to his children. Mm. And you know, which of, which of you, if you're, if your kid, regardless homeschool or not, if your kid comes home from public school and asks you to help with a math problem, who's not going to sit down and try and figure out the math problem, even if you hate it Mm -hmm. uh, or hate math. And you don't, you don't know, you know, like, you know, like just as willing as you are to help your kid, God is willing to help you. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. And and there's no we we have no idea, nobody's able to say, quanti- you know quantitatively, what prayer can't do. Mm. Um, mm. So I would say take all your doubts to prayer and to God, and um, you know God God um, He equips the called, mm. and um, so if you're, <laughs> you know I say if you're called to homeschool, but I believe that. Um, just about everybody is who's christian is called to homeschool <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know that's i guess that's you know it's not my place to, to decide what's you know best for you um obviously um but yeah if you're called to homeschooling god will will provide you with what you need it may not be comfy it might not be cozy you might not feel great but he'll give you what you need mm. so do you think can you imagine what you what kind of person you would be like or how your life would be different if you had not been homeschooled I have no idea, but you know, who knows? I mean, like I, you know, I'm a very social person and I am also really, really stubborn, um, which was kind of a, obviously a, probably a struggle, you know, in, in schooling and in homeschooling, but that stubbornness did serve me well when I was eventually put out into the world in college, because I would just be like, no, this is what I believe mm-hmm. and I'm going to stand my ground and I'm not going to give into peer pressure. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if I didn't have those you know, those years where I was, you know, I was, I was, you know, trying to, you know, in high school as a, as a guy, you're, you know, you're bucking and you're trying to kind of figure out your own way and you're, um, you know, figuring out things for yourself and to be able to do that, you know, when in the relative safety of, of the household, you know, who knows what I would have gotten up to if I was just, you know, running around with, with a random, you know, group of friends, like you, you, you have no idea. You have no idea what your kid's doing at school. You have no idea, um, you know, what your kid's up to in the downtime. You just gotta be really careful, man. So, um, and so you mentioned, um, that you hope to have a family at some point and, um, your intention is to homeschool you. you so maybe you can just, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What are your thoughts about having a family and how you'd want to educate your own children? Um, yeah, I mean, given all that I've, you know, that I've said, I think that it would be, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine sending my kids off to, to school mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I, it's just, yeah, it's just not safe. And, and that's not to say that like, okay, you know, you need to go be a helicopter parent and you need mm-hmm. to like make sure that you're, um, you're completely, you're, you know, your kid's in a padded room and, but, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a huge difference between being sheltered and isolated and and just just throwing them to the wolves mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know i'm just i don't get me wrong you know like allow your kids some freedom for sure but allow them freedom in areas that are safe mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and so you know an example of that would would be you know allow 
allow your kid to, you know, play in the neighborhood and play in the yard a lot, mm-hmm. right? But I would say don't don't ever make sure there is never a a, a single chance that your kid of of, you know, any age has access to the internet when you can't look over their shoulder. Mm. Um because there's there's just too much out there and there's it's just too risky. Mm. Um and so like you know, don't, yeah, one, yeah. Don't, they don't need to be in a padded cell, but you got to be aware of, of, of the, you know, the wolves that are out prowling and, um, you got to be aware of, um, yeah, of, of the way that the world is. Mm-hmm. So, so when you talk about, um, you know, your desire, you said, you, you know, you couldn't, you know, that you want to have kids, but you can't imagine sending them to school. Um, but you understand, I think, that there are sacrifices involved. You know, it's not just a, it's not a low commitment decision to say, oh, I'll homeschool. It's not like saying, oh, I'll have eggs for breakfast. I mean, it's like, it's what, what are some of the, when you make the decision to homeschool, what are some of the sacrifices that you expect for yourself or that, I mean, I know you're not a parent yet, but um, what, what are some of the sacrifices that you would expect to have to make or that any homeschool parent would have to make? Well, I remember, I actually remember, I remember you telling, I believe it was one of my uncles about, about this, um, you know, as when I was like a little kid, you were saying, you know, it means homeschooling means you don't come home from work and sit and turn on the game. You know, homeschooling doesn't mean that, you know, you, you, yeah, you come home and you collapse and you, you, you know, homeschooling is a commitment and it is hard and that's good for you Mm. Um, because homeschooling teaches you to to sacrifice you know even more for your children and for those you love and god loved us enough to sacrifice his only son to 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 die a horrible death for us and so we can we can kind of unite our we can offer up our tiny sufferings and our little our little efforts to to kind of be more like christ Mm. and you know and it's you know, it means giving up a lot of, you know, entertainment. Mm. And it means, you know, like I, I played a lot of video games in college and I have since quit because I know that I'm not going to have time for it when, mm. you know, I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't want to be playing video games when I have a family. So mm-hmm. why not start now? Mm-hmm. You know, why not start learning how to live without it now? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to make the adjustment when the time comes, but also know that, you know, if nobody, if nobody sees it, God sees it and God rewards, God will reward those who do his will, you know, in heaven someday. And, you know, he, Jesus talks to his disciples about storing up treasures in heaven and and building up reward. And so if that helps you, you can think about that and draw encouragement from those verses. But yeah, it's absolutely a sacrifice. And that's a good thing because sacrifice is good for us because sacrifice can draw us closer to God. Mm. So are there, um, you know, are there any subjects or things that you think a homeschool parent might overlook that uh, that you've seen in your own life um, that you're thinking, well, I, I, you know, maybe I wish these are easy things to skip that would be good to include in, in the homeschool journey or teaching your children? So I think in, in these kind of don't need to be subjects. These can kind of, you can work these into, you know, your kid's life as just play, I feel like. But, you know, like things like learning how to eat healthy and, and learning how to, 
you know, make good food, I think Mm -hmm. is, is a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. physical, you know, I mean, there's always the, you know, the, Oh, my boy won't, won't sit still. And it's like, well, boys uh, weren't really meant to sit still very long, you know? And, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, making sure your boys get as, get as much active, like they should be tired. Mm -hmm. you know, at the Mm -hmm. end of the day Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, give them, give them things to do, give them, give them physical activity, Mm -hmm. um, because it's good for you, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, young kids, you know, we know intuitively how to move from a young age. It's just kind of the, the way that the, our, I don't know, society has structured, like even furniture, just like the amount of time that we sit around in a chair kind of changes how how our mechanics how our body mechanics move and operate and so you're it's, it's almost like a retention you're trying to retain the kind of the simple mechanics that your your body intuitively knows from a kid so you know i don't it's not i don't really think that it's for everybody but if you're if you're really interested in kind of taking physical education really seriously and you can you have a mind for like you can you can kind of decipher um textbooks um, I'd really recommend um, Becoming a Supple Leopard by Kelly Starrett because that's it's a really good, you know, there's so much, you know, fitness information out there in the world, but this book is a really good kind of baseline for like general mechanics and concepts. Like it, it's it, kind of the first half of it is, is talking through a lot of these concepts and then the second half of it is more application stuff, which, you know, there's other applications to kind of achieve the same things. And so it's not, you know, it's obviously not the Bible, but that, that kind of that first half talks through kind of the mechanics of how, how the body's designed to move. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so if you really want to get into that, that's a good book for it. Uh, And if you don't, you know, just, just have, you know, have some monkey bars, have Mm -hmm. a lot of space to run around, get yourself some foam swords, let your, let your, let your boys go to war, you know? Um, (laughs) And, uh, Kids need to move. Kids need to run. So it's interesting. So you're kind of pointing to, you know, both of those things. You're pointing to the physical dimension. And I think with homeschooling, we can think so much about the academic side and the mental side. And I think what you're saying is, hey, don't don't forget about the body. Don't forget about what you're eating, eating healthy, um, you know, retaining positive movement, understand your body mechanics um, and uh, and how you sit and walk and do sports. And so... Um, so I think that's that's a very helpful reminder, I think, to parents is to remember that we're not just a brain, but we're a body as well. And uh, that can easily be forgotten in the homeschool world. Right. And, and you know, once again, it always it all goes back to stewardship. You, mm-hmm. Your body is a temple. You mm-hmm. should take care of it. Mm-hmm. Like you like imagine. I mean, you like think about the descriptions for for the construction of Solomon's temple. Mm and think of just the, the the finery and all the honor that's you know put into that and then and then we're told that our bodies are our temples as well like mm. we should we should really be taking this stuff seriously you know mm. and that and that means you know there, there's you don't want to go necessarily too far to to one side or the other but you know it's like we are given we are we are given taste buds to taste good food mm. um and we also don't do well when we overindulge in too much food Mm -hmm. and so learning to balance you know just a healthy healthy moderation of diet and learning to you know take care of the the body for for movement and for longevity you're only given one body Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you might want to you know you might as well take care of it 
um, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite at the same level as, you know, all this salvation stuff, but it's, once again, it's something that's really important that God's put in under your care. So take care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So, um, is there, you know, we've covered a lot of stuff in this conversation, this kind of look back. Is there any other advice, um, that you'd like to offer our listeners? So, I mean, kind of another big, big point, And I know, you know, my dad talks about this, um, a good amount too, but I, you know, I can't be stressed enough is like men, you guys got to step up and, you know, we're called to, to lead our families and to, and to sacrifice, you know, you think of, you know, think of how marriage is supposed to reflect God and, and Jesus relationship with the church and think of all that Jesus gave for the church. And, you know, that means, that's that's a that's a lot that's a huge calling and obviously we're we're not gonna do it on our own strength um by any means but we can we can try and we can pray for help and um and the spirit dwells within us and so yeah just a a, an extra point of advice is just being like men you we have to you have to step up and take take ownership of your family and protect the garden you know remember you know adam adam in the garden he he didn't protect the garden that snake got in and you know, I won't get too much into that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's your job as a man to, you're going to have to give an account someday to God of, of how you took care of, of things that were put in your stewardship. And I think that's something to be, to take seriously. And as much as you can try to try to rejoice in the sacrifice because the sacrifice brings you, makes you more Christ-like mm. and, um, and go to, go to God with your frustrations, go to God with your shortcomings. You know, there's plenty of Psalms for those tough times too. You know, God's pretty clear that he wants us to go to him with everything. So, well, that's good. Well, thank you, Palmer, for, um, you know, taking the time to share these thoughts. And um, I think it's going to be helpful for many people setting out to homeschool and wondering what, what you know, what the journey is like. And, um, and I think they're going to appreciate hearing, you know, you talk about that look back as well as um, your own kind of vision for the future. So thanks again for sharing with us. And, um, yeah, and this and this is fun. Yeah, you know, there's only so much that that I can kind of think of off the top of my head. You know, right, right here in this this couple hours that we've been talking. So, you know, if any of if any of the listeners have questions they want to send in, I might be oh, we, we I might be convinced to you know do another episode where we go through um, listener questions. That could be fun. But yeah, this was a good good time. Yeah, great. So if you have questions, go ahead and. Post them in the comments on the website, or you can uh, shoot me an email at art at charlottemasonpoetry.org. And um, yeah, questions that come in, we'll chat with Palmer and maybe we can uh, have a follow-up discussion. So thanks everybody for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.